Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 10. If you're willing and able, would you please stand with me as I read verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I want to say hi to everyone here on campus. So great to see all of you this morning. Those of you joining online this morning, uh, wherever you're watching from here in Orlando or around the world. Uh, in fact, I've heard recently stories of many of you from around our country uh, who've written in, who have texted to say that you've been joining us here in Orlando and our family here at Orangewood. And I just want to say welcome to you if that's you joining us from around the country. So grateful this service has brought an impact into your life. Uh, if you're here on campus and you want to uh, remove your mask at this time during the sermon, feel free to do so. Uh, it's wonderful to be together. Um, if you're new with us today, whether here on campus or online, uh, we find ourselves in a very interesting season in our world. <laughs> um, uh, interesting season, a lot of division, animosity around our country. And, and so we as a church are wanting to focus on these encounters that people had with Jesus in the Bible uh, as our focus, as our lens, as our uniting vision as a church uh, that will take us through next May. And our hope is to see God work here in Orlando and through our lives as a church. Uh, today, we're actually going to be looking at another pandemic uh, that's happening in our world. Um, this one doesn't receive the, the news. It doesn't receive the attention that COVID is getting right now, uh, but this pandemic is just as worrisome. The pandemic is called the hurried soul. And I want you to know this morning that as your pastor, uh, I have tested positive. <laughs> I have it. I have the hurried soul. Um, I, I want you to know this morning, it, 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 you can still get close to me. It's not contagious that way. But I am thankful this morning for the gospel that allows me to preach on a subject that I have definitely not perfected in my own life, that I come uh, to this passage just like you. God, would you teach me? Our passage today gives us a glimpse into the reality we face in the modern world, uh, the reality to this life, to this pandemic, this hurried soul, and to this invitation that God is giving each and every one of us today to step into a different way of life, a, a different way that you and I could walk together. Uh, two things that we must consider this morning uh, from our passage, the issue with hurry and the solution to hurry, the issue with hurry, the solution to hurry. So let's look at the issue with hurry. In our passage that was read earlier, we see that there are these two sisters, Mary and Martha. 
Uh, Martha, you can tell from the passage, uh, has a type A bent to her. She's, she's driven. She's, uh, she's consumed with pleasing everyone else's needs, including Jesus's, who is her guest in her house. Uh, her, her warmth to make sure all the expectations, all the preparations are taken care of with her hospitality. But we learn from this passage that Martha has tested positive as well for the hurried soul. This is what it says in verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. Uh, the Greek word here for distracted is literally to, to be pulled away, to be, to be pulled away from this source of life. And, and you may be here this morning saying to yourself, okay, so um, this season with COVID, you know, maybe my life's a little more unhinged. Uh, maybe my life's a little bit more chaotic. Maybe, maybe there's, maybe there, there's um, some things going on in my life that, but, but Tyler, that, what's the big deal? I'm fine. I'm, fi- I'm fine. Maybe that's you this morning. But what we have to realize is that we've become addicted to hurry. It's become our way of life. It's become the way we, we do things. We believe that we can go fast in seasons. We can go as hard as we need to go for whatever we need to accomplish. But the reality is we haven't realized that the brakes in our life no longer work. Uh, Stephanie Brown is a psychologist. She has had 35 years of experience. Her specialty is with addictions. And she, her practice is in Menlo Park, California, uh, the home of Silicon Valley, uh, the entrepreneurial capital of the world. And Stephanie Brown wrote a book uh, a few years back called Speed. And the, the book kind of talks about these clients of hers who've come in to sit on her couch to talk about their problems, their issues that they are facing. And one after another in this book, she begins to talk about how their lives are unraveling by this speed, this addiction to speed. Now, it's not speed, the drug. It is the speed of a hurried soul. And this is what she writes. As I've observed our culture over the last 20 years, I see that society has lost control. Society as a whole and the people who make up society now look and sound like addicts. People are out of control in their drive for speed. They're out of control in their behaviors, thinking, emotions, and the addicted lifestyle they create. Ambitious people and people who are simply caught up in the cultural wave to believe that they should have no limits, that they can do everything if they only work harder and smarter and success and a timeout lie at the end of an imaginary finish line. Yet, They cannot stop their push to get in one more call, check off one more task, or play one more poker hand. Behaviors that have become robotic, automatic, and mindless, this is addiction. You can't stop. Your behavior becomes automatic. A voice inside warns that you really should slow down, but you don't have a break that works anymore. Uh, Brown, Brown is giving us a warning to the danger of hurry. We're being pulled away from the source of all of life, the life that we really, really want. We're being pulled away from. And we keep saying to ourselves, you know what? I can stop any time that I wanted to. But the reality is that Brown warns us and what she has seen from her clients is that we are on autopilot and the brakes no longer work. 
Isn't this a story of people that you talk to today, even during COVID? How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just really tired. There's a lot going on. We think it's the busyness. It's these external circumstances in my life that are impacting me. It's these external situations, these people in my life, they're what's making me so crazy. My boss, my job, my finances, my partner, these ungrateful little humans in my life known as my kids. Or are these ungrateful grandkids, maybe for some of you? Uh, My life would be so much better if I didn't have all of these demands. The issue we keep believing, that we keep convincing ourselves, the issue is out there. Uh, But what COVID has shown us is that maybe your schedule is not as busy as it used to be, but yet you still feel the unrest inside. You still feel overwhelmed. You feel the desire to numb out. Uh, You you see, we keep thinking that the, the issue is outside of us. And COVID is just showing us the opposite. The gospel tells us actually the issue is not external. The issue is internal. There are structural issues to the foundation of the house that is your soul. In fact, John Ortberg, he, he wrote in a book uh, he did a couple years ago called Soul Keeping, and he draws a great distinction between busyness and hurry. He, he says, busyness is the circumstances of our lives that, that, are, that happen in our lives, and we have to face there are certain seasons that this will be a requirement of you. A lot of what will be asked of you. Uh, there will be meetings for your firm. There will be projects that you have to deliver on, basketball games for your kid, or picking up the grandkids and realizing how exhausting your grandkids can be. And hopefully there's date nights with your spouse and enough time to pay the bills and to see some friends and to maybe take part in fantasy football and even go on for a run someday. But all in all, there will be seasons in our life that will be busier than others. But the pandemic of hurry is what it's doing inside of you. It's the hurried soul. Uh, there are two psychologists, um, Rosemary Sword and Philip Zimbardo. They, they, they talk about it as a hurry sickness. Um, and some psychologists have been studying this hurry sickness and its effects on our attention spans. Um, in 2000, before the digital revolution happened, uh, our attention span was 12 seconds. Um, But since the digital revolution has happened in our lives, uh, they're now saying that our attention span as human beings has dropped to eight seconds. And I want to put this in perspective for you this morning. A goldfish has the attention span of nine seconds. So this has led Kevin McFadden, who wrote an article in Times Magazine a few years back. The article was entitled, entitled, you now have an attention span shorter than a goldfish. So there's some good news for you this morning, friends. However crazy your life is, you are now in competition with a goldfish. Here are some characteristics that John Ortberg gives when he is naming a hurried soul. This is from his book, Soul Keeping. Number one, you are preoccupied. Your mind is always going. It's going somewhere. It's always in flux with some sort of new idea. That's number one. Number two, uh, you are unable to be fully present. Man, that one is so indicting. You are unable to be fully present. You are dwelling on the past or thinking about the future 
but you cannot be in the one place that you actually are, which is right here. You're unable to be fully present. Last one, you feel spiritually drained. It, it feels like your soul is running and running and running a marathon maybe, and you feel absolutely exhausted. Hurry is the condition of the internal world more than it is the condition of the external demand. So here's what John Ortberg says. This is what we quote. Uh, it says this, hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. And John Ortberg, as he writes this book, he, he's sharing from his own life this issue that he began to notice, that uh, he was serving as a pastor of a smaller church in California. He, he, he got a new calling to a church, uh, a, one of the largest churches in the world outside of Chicago to be the teaching pastor. He stepped into this new environment, this new culture, and he noticed immediately how quick the pace had changed, uh, how, how quick the, the life for him had picked up, and he did what he thought best was to reach out to his mentor back in California, uh, a man named Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard uh, was a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California, uh, but on the side, he wrote a lot in the world of spiritual formation, uh, and I, an author I was deeply impacted by. Um, but he reaches out, he, he calls him from Chicago to explain to Dallas, how do I get a handle on the chaotic demands of my life? Dallas is on the other line, and he gives a very long pause of silence. Uh, with Dallas, there was always a long pause of silence, apparently. And his response was, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John writes it down. What pearls of wisdom from this great sage. Yes, yes, yes. Keep, keep going. Keep, keep giving me more. I'm ready. What else? Yes, what else? What else? Willard's response. Another long pause. He said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly Eliminate hurry from your life. A simple question this morning for you is, do you have a hurried soul? This is the life of Martha in our passage. Martha is running around with like a chicken with the head cut off. Um, she's trying to take care of everything for everyone. And we see three symptoms from this passage uh, for those who have a hurried soul. Uh, where do we see those? Well, the first one is in verse 41, and this is what it says. Jesus is responding to Martha, and he says this. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. In the Bible, uh, Semitic language, they would use repetition to denote um, magnification or intensification to something. So in Genesis 14, there, there's a scene where these kings are fleeing battle, and it says these kings fall into these great pits. Uh, but in the Hebrew, it doesn't say great pits. It actually says they fell into the pits pits. Uh, David, as he mourns over his lost son, he said, Absalom, oh, Absalom. J Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Jesus is heartbroken over Martha's hurry. 
He loves her. Uh, He's inviting her into a different kind of life. Martha, Martha. Mike, Mike. John, John. Beth, Beth. Tyler, Tyler. This passage tells us she was anxious and troubled. There's an inner turmoil that hurry brings to our lives. We, we think like Martha that the issue is somebody else. If, if I just had more people helping me with my situation or circumstances, then everything would be okay. She thinks the issue are the preparations. That's why I'm anxious. That's why I'm overwhelmed. But Jesus rebukes her and tells her it's the internal storm of your soul that is making your preparation so difficult. Uh, This is sometimes the trap that we fall into sometimes when we read a passage like this. We need to stop being so busy like Martha and we need to start being like Mary. We can get to thinking it's the issue is our actions when really the issue is our attitude. Uh, We can say to ourselves, you know what? I just need to quit this secular job of mine that's driving me crazy, that's filling up all my hours of my time. That's the real issue. That's the problem. What I need to do is I need to become a pastor like Tyler. I mean, he only works one day a week. (laughs) Now, even if that were true, even if that were true, it would not fix the issue of your hurried soul. Is not an issue of action. It's an issue of attitude. There is an eternal chaos happening in your soul with hurry. So we see there's this anxiety to hurry. Next, we see there's this irritability to hurry. Uh, Look at Martha's response to Jesus. She's cooking. uh, She's cleaning. She's getting Jesus's bed and sheets ready for him for his stay. She's taking drink orders for everyone. The oven's been preheated to 400 And when the hurried soul gets overwhelmed, uh, we snap is probably the best word. Uh, Look at her barking orders to Jesus in verse 40. This is what it says. Tell Mary to help me. Tell Mary to help me. Now, before you start throwing stones at her, can we all admit this is a safe place this morning? Can we all admit we have been there? We have said that, we have, we have said something we regret later. It's interesting, neuroscientists have been studying the effects of anxiety and hurry on our brains, and they now have uh, medical equipment that helps them analyze all that's happening in your brains uh, throughout these experiences with hurry and how hurry destroys our ability to flourish. Uh, What they found is that your brain is this amazingly beautiful, complex organ in your body that also happens to be incredibly lazy. You see, your brain doesn't want to keep doing all this hard work of developing new skills and learning new practices. What it likes to do is it likes to set a neural pathway in your brain to create a habit. So it doesn't have to think about that anymore. Uh, This is why you today could leave church, hop in your car, drive home, and completely can focus your mind on something else, something else going on in your life. And somehow, by God's sheer grace, you make it home to your house safely. And then when you get to your house, you you begin to think, wait a second, I've been driving all this time on this very busy road, maybe even I-4. 
And I've been driving all this time and I haven't focused one bit on my driving and how I'm doing it. And I made it here. Thank God I didn't kill anybody. Have you ever had that experience? You've been driving somewhere? Well, you can also thank your brain. It, it has this amazing ability to, all, to do all these things. But the reality of your brain's internal system is that if one part of your brain is firing continually and it takes away the work of other parts of your brain. So what do I mean? Well, if you live with a hurried soul, your brain is feeling the effects of that choice. Uh, you, you will live your life with this slow hum of anxiety and chaos just below the surface. And what that does is it triggers what's called the limbic part of your brain where fear and worry reside. And if it's constantly firing, the rational part of your brain, which is your frontal cortex, is not functioning optimally. So this morning, I'm going to translate the science for you. When you have a hurried soul, you are an absolute pain to live with. That's the science. You will snap at your kids. You will constantly critique your spouse. You will judge the people you work with. You will always be put out by you having to wait in some line, whether it's the grocery line or the restaurant line or the traffic line. You will find yourself saying things that later you wondered, how did those even come out of my mouth? The email you sent, did I actually write that email? Well, in some ways this morning, I'd like for you to have some compassion on yourself. Uh, your brain is doing what the brain does in these situations. At the same time, your brain is doing what hurry does. Uh, and just a side note, this is free. COVID is having all kinds of effects on our brain because of relational connection. There, there are things happening in our brains because of COVID. So there's no better time to deal with the hurried soul than right now. Lastly, a hurried soul can leave you despondent and feeling incredibly alone. Uh, look at how Martha responds to Jesus uh, as the oven is going off, as the dinner plates won't fix themselves. Listen to what she says in verse 40. She says this, Lord, do you not care? She's doing everything for everyone else. And in this moment, she feels so alone. So isolated. She feels the weight of everything that she is carrying on the inside. And she has resigned herself now to the fact that no one cares for her. No one knows what I'm going through. No, no one cares. Jesus doesn't even care. Uh, this is what happens to us. Our hurried soul begins to lie to us. Uh, it, it'll tell us things that uh, we're the only one who can't seem to get it together. It tells us no one really knows what we are going through. It tells us that no one cares about us despite the pressures that we feel. We are prone to feeling despondent and cut off from others, much less Jesus. The one who says, cast all your cares on me. Even him, we find that a hurried soul, we ask Jesus, do you even care? I have known this season in my own life. There was a season of ministry where I have pushed myself too hard, uh, where I felt as Stephanie Brown from 
Silicon Valley said earlier, I thought I could work longer, faster, and harder than everyone else. Uh, But all I got was a hurried soul, uh, which led me to a very dark season of despondency, isolation, and despair. And I had no idea what was going on at the time, but my body was trying to tell me that my body was essentially saying, hey, Tyler, um, you could choose to live a hurried life, um, but your body, my body was basically saying, we want off the crazy train. You see, when we begin to have those feelings of anxiety, despondency, despair, irritability, that is your body talking, trying to get your attention. (laughs) Your body's basically saying, hey, we would like a check, please. Uh, We would like to get off the crazy train. Uh, It reminds me of a scene in the movie Top Gun. If you haven't seen the movie Top Gun, I just feel bad for you. Um, One of the greatest movies from the 80s. Uh, But in that movie, uh, uh, there's a scene where the commander um, says to Tom Cruise's character, uh, he, he, he says his ego is writing checks his body can't cash. Do you remember that line? Your, your ego's writing checks your body can't cash. Well, my body was essentially saying, Tyler, the bank is now closed. And I tell you this so that you would know this morning that you are not alone. I tell you this for you to know that there's hope. And I tell you this as a warning. of where the hurried soul leads. It's a subtle path to feeling alone, isolated, and despondent. You are living, sure, you're living. You're just not living really well. John Ortberg said it this way. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Now, there are countless other psychological experiments, books, articles, and things I could have given you this morning to outline the pandemic that is the hurried soul, but we frankly just don't have the time for that. But I hope that I have addressed there is an issue with hurry in our lives. There is an issue with hurry in our culture. So the question is, how do we get out of it? How do we get rid of it? How do do we get beyond this issue? What's the protocol? Maybe in some of our language today. What's the protocol for the hurried soul? Well, that brings us to the second thing we must consider, which is the solution to hurry. What we find is Mary's posture is the solution to hurry. We read this in verse 39, it says this. And Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Notice Mary's posture. First, we must surrender. Uh, It tells us that she was sitting at the Lord's feet. Now that phrase may not make a lot of sense in our modern world, but in an ancient culture, uh, to sit, at someone's feet was a sign of surrender to their authority. Uh, In the first century of Israel, it it was a phrase used for disciples, how disciples would sit at their rabbi's feet. The rabbi would teach them how to live. So to sit at the rabbi's feet was a way of saying with your life, I am relinquishing control. 
I'm relinquishing control. I'm abandoning whatever ideas I had in my mind of how this life works. And I'm asking you to teach me. That's what Mary is doing. Now, Jesus is unlike any rabbi in the first century. You see, Jesus was the most inclusive rabbi that lived. In the first century, Gentiles, uh, Samaritans, which were half Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans, and women uh, were not allowed to sit at a rabbi's feet. Uh, they, they weren't allowed to sit at his feet. In fact, uh, there was a rabbi named Rabbi Eliezer who lived at the time of Jesus. He, he said that um, if a father taught his daughter to study the Torah, to study the law at the feet of a rabbi, it, it would be as bad as if he had taught her how to become a prostitute. There's drastic implications to sit at a rabbi's feet. Jesus is saying, on the other hand, I'm inviting all, anyone who has a hurried soul to come and relinquish control to me. So first we must surrender. Second, we have to get close to him. Uh, to, be, to be at the rabbi's feet was more than just an expression of authority. It was an explanation of location. This Greek word, uh, park at literally means she is sitting as close as she possibly can to this rabbi. Uh, she's not sitting in the back of the room like I did in freshman college psychology class waiting for the nightmare to be over. Okay. She's as close as she can possibly be. She is with him. This is the goal of our lives, that we would live our lives with him. You see, it's not about the preparations of your day that cause the hurried soul. It is the posture. What would it look like for you to be close to Jesus throughout your day? When you wake up, when you drive to work, when you make lunch for your kids, when you are at work, when you play golf, when you throw your club while you play golf. When you enjoy a really great meal. When you are with those you love. To be with him. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Um, I'm all for time alone with Jesus. We need that, especially in the chaos of our modern world. We need time alone with Jesus to be close to him. But being close to him has dramatic implications for all the other hours of our day. And Jesus says, I simply want to be with you there as well. When you're in the car line to pick up your kids or your grandkids, I want to be with you there. When you are stuck in I-4 traffic, yes, even in I-4 traffic, I will be with you. We have to surrender. We have to get close to him. And finally, we have to listen. This is what Mary does. You know, many of us, sometimes we get caught thinking, Jesus is just a great savior. He, he is a great savior, but he doesn't have anything really to teach me in the modern world. And what we find over and over, people who study the life of Jesus, is that he is a man who knew more about the reality of this world than anyone who has ever lived. Anyone who has ever walked this earth. You can trust him with your life. If you have a hurried soul this morning, this is what Jesus would invite you to do. This is what he says. He says this. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is essentially saying, come to me if you have a hurried soul. I will show you the way. It says here, his yoke is easy and it's light. Um, this is a rabbinical phrase that talks about his teaching. How, what was it like to sit under his teaching? His way was easy and light for all who would come to him. The question to ask yourself this morning is, does your soul feel light? If not, why not? And if you're not a Christian this morning and you are feeling the pain of a hurried soul, I would simply invite you to give Jesus a chance. If your current life's not working for you, I invite you to try this one. He says that the person that surrenders their life to him can relinquish the hurry of their soul and instead find the rest that they are longing for. Would you like that? Uh, if you're here this morning and you are not feeling hurried, well, I would say, first of all, I am super impressed. Uh, you are the minority in the room. But I'll also say we're about to go into a very difficult stretch. Uh, we have an election a little over a week away, if you weren't aware of that. And then a little over a month from now, we have Thanksgiving, where you will spend time with that relative that somehow annoys you more than anyone on the planet, and you cannot fathom still how you are possibly related to them. So that's coming, Thanksgiving. So in light of all that, uh, we're starting on November 1st of this month, Throughout the month of November, uh, we're implementing our own election campaign of sorts, if you want to call it that. Uh, you can choose to be a part if you like. It's fully invitational. I am calling it the campaign to sane. The campaign to sane. Um, our team's been working on a, a wonderful little booklet that'll take us 30 days uh, of just listening to Jesus for our own life. And uh, we'll have more information this coming week about how you get involved, how you take part in that, how you get the booklet, how do you engage with it. We'll have that in the coming days. But I encourage you to check it out. Go with us from November 1st through November 30th. And then maybe just keep going uh, because after the 30 days are up, then we've got Christmas and shopping and finances and gifts and debt and all those wonderful things that December bring. As we close today, uh, I want to share with you about the life of Nicholas Herman. Uh, Nicholas Herman uh, was a cook. He went to a monastery to work in Paris in the 1600s. And when he joined that monastery, they actually changed his name uh, to Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. And Brother Lawrence wrote one of what I consider one of the best books on how to be with God in your life. The book was called Practicing the Presence of God. I would quote the whole book for you this morning if I could, but we are simply out of time. Um, but one little section as we close our service today, this is what he says. God does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. And this is the line. He is nearer to us than we think. Friends, he's nearer to us than we think. 
and his way is easy and his way is light for the hurried soul. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you long to release us from the hurried soul. Uh, Enable us to experience the freedom of life with you throughout our day, our comings and our goings. Empower us to come to you with our joys, fears, worries, and for us to know at all times that you are closer than we think. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Please join us as we stand together and sing this last song, Blessed Assurance.